Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 110 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. This week we're speaking with comedian Alex Elkin. Comic Steve McGrew, a friend of this podcast, connected me to Alex recently, and I'm really glad he did. I think you'll be glad too. Make sure to pick up Alex's new comedy album, Screaming at Shapes, available now on iTunes. Well, it's official. James Gunn will direct Guardians of the Galaxy 3 after all. Assuming some of our heroes are artificially dust following the Avengers Infinity War dust-up. Now, the director's gross pedophile comments from back in the day caused this dismissal in the first place. Now, suddenly, they aren't stopping him from getting behind the camera again? Well, what does it all mean? For starters, i got to say the timing is pretty darn curious. The left is currently trying to get Tucker Carlson knocked off of Fox News for some gross comments he made more than a decade ago on a shock jock show. Yet that fire appears to be dimming. The outrage against him is, well, it's going away. Tucker Carlson stood his ground, defiantly so, and that's how you deal with the PC police. Don't give them an inch. Now we just learned that Gunn is coming back. Hmm. I can't help but think the two are somehow connected. Maybe that's the conspiratorial side in me. Something that didn't exist a few years ago, but it's getting stoked by current events. Another note? Well, does this mean that Roseanne comes back too? Is all forgiven? Of course not. The rules are not the same in our culture. Not by a long shot. Roseanne's quasi-embrace of Trump cannot be forgiven. Ever. She is out. She's never coming back. Of course, what has to happen for all this outrage stuff to go away is mutually assured destruction. And we saw a hint of that with Gunn's dismissal. If liberals know that they'll lose gigs for saying the wrong thing, or getting caught saying the wrong thing, they might start fighting the PC police alongside their conservative enemies. Until then, nothing really has changed. As it stands right now, Gunn is back. And it's only set the third Guardians movie back a few months, maybe a little bit more. He's going to get paid. He's now back in Disney's good graces, especially if the third film does very well. And it's unlikely there's going to be any sort of second wave of outrage coming back at him. They've already found those tweets. They've already been judged. And essentially, they've been dismissed. We still have a very serious cultural problem on our hands that has not been solved, and that's a shame. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Fiera is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. He still sleeps with the nightlight on.
Here's the hit tweet of the week. You know, we just don't feature Rob Reiner enough here. And to be fair to this director who gave a spinal tap and Stand By Me and The Princess Bride, I wanted to hold my fire just a little bit in deference to his talent. You know, there's a lot of crazy town tweets I could mention here, but I picked one which is interesting, thought-provoking, and just a smidge crazy. Here's Rob's advice to his fellow Democrats as we head into the 2020 presidential campaign. Existential imperative for 2020. Remove the liar. Nominee must be someone who has the policy ideas and character that connects with voters. Can go toe-to-toe with the liar. Critical. A woman on the ticket, either at the top or as Veep. And no trashing fellow Democrats. Earth to Rob, voters are going to be laughing way too hard at the Green New Deal to pay any attention to your tips. Sorry. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. My hit tip of the week is Paddleton. This Netflix original stars Ray Romano and Mark Duplass as longtime chums facing a crisis. Mark's character has terminal cancer. What happens next is a beautiful, quiet portrait of male friendship, the bonding, the arguments, the spending hours and hours eating bad pizza and watching worse kung fu movies. Sorry, those movies really look terrible. It's also, of course, about loss and moving on and how do you get from point A to point B. Now, Romano, a comedian by trade, has got the really the harder role here. His character is on the autism spectrum, no doubt. His social interactions are awkward to say the very least, but that doesn't interrupt the bond he has with his fellow character. Now, Pendleton isn't a great film, and I kind of struggled with what I was going to mention it at all this week, but... It's hard to watch at times, and not just because of the subject matter, but like I said, those, those clumsy interactions, man, you just squirm in your seat just hoping that he'd say the right thing, do the right thing, somehow emerge from a conversation intact. It doesn't always happen. But those final 20 minutes, and I'll say no more about what happens in them, makes it all worthwhile. It's really beautiful, heart-tugging. You know, it's the kind of ending where you think, okay, it could have been much more manipulative. Instead, it's just real and beautifully told. I'm very very kind of moved that these two actors were able to kind of convey something this powerful and it makes it worth the while. Paddleton is streaming right now on Netflix. I'm Patrick Corelci. And I'm Adriana Cortez. And we're the hosts of Red Pilled America, a new storytelling podcast. Red Pilled America is not another talk show covering the day's news. We are all about telling stories. Stories Hollywood doesn't want you to hear. Stories the media mocks. Stories about everyday Americans that the elites ignore. You can think of Red Pilled America as audio documentaries, and we promise only one thing, the truth. Visit the iHeartRadio app right now to listen to Red Pilled America. Now let's get to this week's HitCast interview. Stand-up comedian Alex Elkin has a confession to make. He's happily married with three lovely kids. Yet he's still so good at making us laugh. Now you know personal dysfunction often fuels a lot of stand-up comedy, but not for Alex. He'd rather focus on uplifting humor. And, of course, even the occasional Trump joke. But, yes, his impression's pretty darn good. You're going to hear it soon. But it's not filled with hate. How refreshing is that? Having said that, Alex isn't afraid to poke the woke beast, as it were. Nor does he back down from how easily Facebook will send you to Facebook jail if you say the wrong thing. His comments on that particular subject are enlightening and smart. Kind of like Alex himself. Here's my chat with a very funny comedian, Alex Elkin. 
Alex, I was kind of curious, you know, when was the first time you realized you were not just funny, but professionally funny? Because, you know, there's always the funny guy in biology class, but obviously you're a stand-up comedian, you're successful. What, was there a moment earlier in your life where you realized that, hey, I wasn't just a cut-up, I could really, it's something that I could do professionally? Uh, yeah, you know, um, it was actually in high school, um, it was the the annual talent show, and I was a freshman, new to the school, and uh, I wrote a stand-up comedy act, and I gave it a try, and it, it didn't just hit, but I mean, it it really hit. I mean, the the judge the judges loved it. I was their favorite. The audience, you know, loved it, and I was their favorite. And it was all over CCTV throughout the city of San Dimas at the time, and so people were watching it at home, and they loved it. And so it uh, not only did I win the whole thing, but yeah, it gave me that confidence to think that you know what, maybe this could be a uh, a career move. I didn't really think of it that way at that time, but. Um, you know, it gave me the confidence to know that, yeah, you know, I can make money at this. Gotcha. And did you, if you looked at that material now compared to what you do today, was it similar? Or did you have a similar approach or have you kind of matured or grown or sort of changed the direction of your routine? Yeah, I would hope that I've matured or grown. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was 14 years old when I wrote yeah. it. And I have to admit now, and this is the first time I've admitted, admitted it publicly, one third of it, uh, about about three minutes of that uh, uh, nine minute act, uh, I ripped off of uh, Gary Shandling oh. from Comic Relief 1984 or five or six or something, uh-huh. and it was a bit about his uh, shaky dog, and I changed it around to be about my grandmother. Now I was now I didn't know any better at the time. I didn't realize that was a no no in the comedy world. I didn't go out on to you know to the store and do it or anything. It was just for that talent show. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the storytelling element with the jokes thrown in, you know, in between to keep people interested, has always been my style. And uh, yeah, I'm sticking to that. But I've I've of course found my voice now. Yeah. Uh, talk about when you first start hitting stages professionally beyond being 14. Did you lean any maybe local comics who helped you out or were there any shandling like figures where you thought, I, I want to follow that career because that's that's something that I admire, I kind of connect with, and I think I could do something similar. Anything like that? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's always people that I followed. Unfortunately, um, you know, in in the comedy world, and this is just a basic truth, when you're funny, comics don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> you know, uh <laughs> They'll they'll tell you how great you are when you get off stage after you've just crapped the bed. But, uh, you know, once you really start killing and you start doing well, nobody tells you, hey, good set anymore because, you know, there's too much there's too much jealousy and animosity. I'll tell you, there's too much comedy in this drama business is what it is. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I would love to say that, you know. I don't know, somebody took me under their wing and, and let me open for them and, you know, showed me the ropes and. Um, not, not really, man. I had to fumble through a lot on my own, and I and I made a lot of mistakes, and you know I learned from those things, and and it's kind of grown me into the comic that I am. I mean, there's people that have given me breaks. You know, Ralphie was a great guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he let me he let me go with him to a, uh, for a couple of weeks. You know, uh, and then there was you know Carlos who you know just gave me his phone number and said anytime, any place in the country you want to go up, you give me a call. You know, oh, wow. and that, awesome. that's cool. Bobby Lee gave me his phone number at one point and actually gave me some really good advice about doing comedy and starting comedy um but uh you know as far as uh, as far as real influences i had to find them on my own you know i i went and uh george carlin was a huge influence and and because you know he didn't go the hollywood route he built his own audience to where he could walk in any city in the country fill up a theater 
and and kill him, you know, and go do it again somewhere else. And he didn't have to rely on on Hollywood or television to, to do that for him. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love mm-hmm. I love Bill Burr's attitude of, you know, look, I don't have to appeal to feminists. I don't have to appeal to, you know, uh, the, you know, diversity or whatever you want to call it or, you know, anything, any kind of buzzword now that that we want to throw out there. Uh, I'm just going to do it my way. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, hey, up yours. And then I love Brian Regan, man. You know, he's clean as a whistle and he he does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants to do it. Nobody's telling him what to do. Mm-hmm. And I've always mm-hmm. believed in Steve Martin saying, you know, be so good that they can't ignore you. And uh, those are those are pretty much my, my big influences. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of your most recent routines involves your son. And uh, I guess the transition from being a boy to a man. I thought, funny stuff, you can all relate, but I'm also thinking, when you do personal stuff, about family, marriage, things like that, do you do you have to run the jokes past your family members, or do you kind of go in the, you just kind of go with it, or what's that process oh, no. like for a comedian? Uh, you know, I don't know how it is for other comedians. Uh-huh. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the happy ones. You know what I mean? I've got, I've got the family, I've got the wife. We've been together 16 years and, and we've got three kids and everybody's functional. And, and it's, a. Uh, uh, it's not what you normally see from most comics. You know, mm-hmm. they usually they want to talk about the dark and the depressing and the marriage is falling apart and the cheating and the, you know, and, uh, um, so I, I don't, I don't really feel like I need to run my stuff by them because I, I don't, I'm out, I'm out here doing what I do to bring back the money so that, mm-hmm. you know, they can go do what they want to do. And so, uh, there's an understanding too. I didn't spring it on my wife. Hey, I want to be a comedian. I started this long before I knew her and she came into this life and accepted it. Gotcha. And the children, mm-hmm. the children were born into it. They don't know any other way. They don't know, they don't know their papa doing anything else, but comedy. They've been to shows. They help me sell DVDs. They make shirts, you know, they they know this life, so uh, they love it. They're part of it. My kids are in the back peeing their pants when I can bring them to shows, uh, <laughs> and you know they know where the truth nuggets are, and they they know where I'm embellishing to get the laugh. But uh, as long as it's relatable and it keeps people coming back, man, that's that's what we're looking for. Do you see signs of your your sense of humor in them, your kids, when when sort of the like I know my kids occasionally will shock me with something they'll say that's really oddly clever and adult and and I was kind of curious as someone who's got this sort of this comedy family that you sort of see mini stand-ups going to blossoming in your household absolutely yeah <laughs> my, my oldest my oldest son not so much a stand-up but he is one of the he's he's like me I was the class clown but I never I didn't get in trouble for it because it was always humor that even the teacher could laugh about uh-huh. and so if the teacher was laughing they certainly weren't reprimanding so uh I I, I kind of I don't want to say I was, you know, super intelligent, but I smartly got my way through school with not having to perform as well as long as I got everybody to like me with jokes. And so uh, I think my oldest son has taken on that characteristic because he's very popular, he's charismatic, and uh, you know he, he has a good sense of humor. My 11-year-old, uh, he is the stand-up comic. He wants to be the performer, and he is like me a lot, uh, though. He, but he doesn't have a filter. Uh, so, so his things come out raw and I can see the humor in it, but the problem is it's coming out of an 11 year old mouth and you're immediately just, (gasps) you know, so I have to take that into consideration when I hear him, but, um, you know, they're, they're night and day. And then my, my little girl, she's blossoming into a a little person with a personality and she's very clever, very funny, you know, but my 11 year old, if, if he's, if anybody's going to go out and probably try and be a stand up. It's going to be my 11-year-old. He's already written jokes. He's written an act. He's got uh, 
he wants to do uh, puppets and <laughs> all oh, kinds great. of stuff. <laughs> well, speaking of filter, I wanted, you know, I often ask this about comedians when I interview them for the podcast. When you think about today's culture and political correctness and certain subjects seem either taboo or at least that may be a minefield, do, do you think about that? You, you have a very positive approach and you, you kind of you admire a Bill Burr for what he does. Does, does it ever filter into what you say or don't say, the, the, I guess the, maybe the comic tangents you consider, or do you kind of push it all aside? Uh, you know – no, I, first of all, I go for what the contract tells me. You know, if I'm on if I'm on a cruise ship and they want you know squeaky clean material, I'm not going to even delve into that. I'm not an artist there. I'm a performer. And I'm, but um, you know, really, it comes to the audience, man. You know, I, <laughs> it's so funny. I went to Little Rock, Arkansas, to record my album because I felt. I'm in Eugene, Oregon, and this is too left wing, man. I can't record it here because they're not going to have a sense of humor about it. Nobody can be a victim, you know, on the left. And every joke has a victim, so that doesn't mesh. So I thought I'd go to Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> and I'm such an idiot because I go to the one place in the country that is the Eugene, Oregon of Arkansas. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, I look at the political map, and if there's one blue dot in the state, it's Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> and so... What I did was I managed my material. I found who the audience was and who, was, who I was appealing to. And without pandering, I I led them on this little comedy trek. Mm -hmm. And we laughed all along the way, as you can tell through the album. And I touch on some... I touch on some stuff that, that people aren't supposed to touch on, especially not a cis white male, you know, the, the, somebody that has never experienced the struggle or whatever you want to call it, mm. uh, because obviously everybody knows my past and my history, and, and I just grew up in a bed of roses, uh, you know, <laughs> unlike the rest of the world, of people of color or or people that, you know, lie on that side of the of the aisle that, you know, obviously have more life experience than anybody else because, you know, they, they get more speeding tickets or whatever, you know? <laughs> so, uh, I, I go with what the audience, uh, the audience wants, but I still get my point across. I still present it to them. I take the ideas that society gives us and I put up a mirror and I go, Hey, isn't this stupid? Let's take a look at this. Let's laugh at this together. You know? And that's, that's where I try to take them. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, comedy in the age of Trump seems complicated in a way because, you know, he's very ripe for humor. At the same time, it seems like a lot of the jokes are very similar. He's got the orange face, the hair, blah, blah, blah. I don't, under, perspective I don't understand. I don't understand what you're talking about. I can't imagine why anybody would laugh at, a, at the dear president. He's a terrific person. Great man. I know him. He's great. He's good. Great. And that's a pretty darn good impression. I heard it's a uh, a championship winning impression as well. Uh, what's what's the your key to? I don't know how much of Trump you do on stage, but when you bring up the president in any kind of comedic fashion, what's your what's your angle? Because I think it could be some some angles seem overplayed already. Absolutely, you know everybody's heard that the president is orange. You know we, we get it. Yeah. But when did it become okay to start making fun of people's skin color again? That's what I want to know. <laughs> That's right. Uh, my angle is I, you've got to ride the line. You've got to you've got to hit it on both sides. You got to remember that neither side cares about you, and <laughs> if if you're paying attention to one side over the other, then you're not paying attention. Mm -hmm. um, you have to you have to come down the middle. You have to look at the stupidity of both sides, and I try to put myself. Uh, uh, in the audience shoes and I don't try to overbear them with, you know, my political views or thoughts, but I do,
try to question the thoughts that I disagree with, you know. So if I'm going to come at it, you know, say an opening line, if I'm going to even bring up the president, uh, you know, I'll start with a funny impression just to put my toe in the water, you know. I'll say something funny. I'll be like, that's a terrific joke. It's very funny. Believe me. And depending on how the audience reacts, if they laugh, then I know I can usually move forward. And if they're if I can hear their buttholes puckering up (laughs) and I know I know I need to change directions and maybe not go down that path. But when I do delve into it, I still delve into it with an idea of. Look, if you believe in this world that there is absolute good and absolute evil, you're living in a Disney movie, okay? There is no good and evil here. This is all mixed bags of of all kinds of crap. And you have to take the good with the bad. And so you have to understand, you know, that I'm a comedian. I had to vote for him. That's four years of job security for me. You know, (laughs) I mean, this stuff writes itself. And, you know, I'll, I'll make a joke about, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but our president occasionally he likes to Twitter once in a while, you know, and people laugh at that. And, you know, but I, I bring out I bring out the, the aspect, too, that um, I mean, one part of my uh, one part of my act, I, I talk about how we've all got that good friend that knows when we've you know, tweeted too much or Facebook too much. Or if you're, if you're drunk texting that X, they know to slap that phone out of your hand, you know, and you stop that. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) The problem is the president doesn't have a friend. You know, he doesn't have, he doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have anybody that's going to slap a gold plated iPhone out of his fudgy little orange fingers. Nobody's going to say, you know, go poop by yourself. Okay. So he's just going to go off with the handle and blah, 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 whatever he wants. And, I read the president's Twitter feed much like I imagine Jesus Christ watches the 700 club, you know, just, just sort of like, Oh, Oh no, no, I didn't say that. Oh, oh my dad. You know what I mean? Just, I, I try to, I try to make a, a joke out of it uh, from either side without pushing another side so that both sides can laugh at it. And hopefully for God's sakes, agree on something. Yeah. I want to switch gears real briefly. I understand you went to Iraq last year to entertain the troops and kind of curious about what that, what your bigger takeaways from that, uh, you know, I'm sure there were things you expected to happen. I'm sure you thought that the troops would be extremely glad to get some great jokes, but what did you kind of come away with from having done that? Cause it's a, it seems like a life altering experience in a way. You know, it really is. Uh, You understand some fundamental truths about the world and how people are and how backwards cultures can be. You know, we spent a few days in Kuwait, which is, um, you know, a pretty, pretty hostile country and, uh, uh, you know, very oil rich and very wealthy. And what we learned is that modern day slavery totally exists. And, uh, you know, in, in Kuwait, everybody gets a every family member, a Kuwaiti family member gets a uh, about a thirty three hundred dollar a month stipend and that's in kuwaiti denari which would be about 9900 bucks our money mm-hmm. every month mm-hmm. and that's every person from baby to great grandma so what they do is they they gather together in family units and they pool their money and they buy these great palaces and they you know they they live like kings and queens and because of this money nobody really has to own a business or start any kind of you know shops or anything so Poorer countries, the Philippines, for example, and, and, you know, poorer countries around them, Afghanistan and places like that, uh, they'll purchase the visas for these people to come over and work. And the problem is, is, man, it's just it turns into a Jacob and Laban situation. And 
they never pay off their visas. They never get that debt paid down. Yeah. And so you've literally yeah. got these slaves working for these people in this country and everybody's okay with it. We're driving down a road and we see palaces on one side of these giant homes and literally on the other side of the street are the slum apartments where their slaves live. And there's literally cars on fire and trash hanging out of windows and, you know, just disgusting life uh, right there in front of you. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, that kind of stuff, you realize, my God, how good we have it here. The people that, you know, want to go outside and, and, uh, you know, block traffic for freedom and wear their safety pins and complain about, you know, America's bad. And, and, you know, we need to look at socialism, take a look at what's going on in countries like this. Go, go take a flight to the middle East and go see what slavery looks like in this country. And, uh, and, and see if you want to come back to a place where, where you can walk outside and actually complain about this stuff. Yeah. Well, one, thing, one thing you complained about on YouTube and your YouTube channel was uh, Facebook and Facebook jail. And uh, I was kind of curious. It was a funny bit, and I'll, I'll include it on the show notes page. But did that? Did, were you uh, ever kind of banned briefly by Facebook? I was kind of curious what inspired that. Oh man, I've, I've yeah, I've done three stints. Uh, the first time, <laughs> the first time it was our dear president. Um, he got me in trouble because he uh, uh, he went on Twitter. And he told us that uh, we're not going to be allowing any more transgenders into America's military. Hashtag done. And so I got on Facebook and I, I said, Trump just banned trannies from the military. Well, good luck getting those tanks and jeeps out of first gear, idiot. <laughs> and immediately, 30 days in the hole. No uh -huh. no trial, no uh -huh. jury. Just, And uh, I wasn't sure what got me thrown in. Was it Trump or tranny? And so after the 30 days, uh, I tried it again. It turns out it was it – was, uh, it was what I thought it was because uh, I, I got on Facebook and I was lamenting the death of my 2004 Kia Amante. Beautiful ride, rock and pinion, front wheel drive. Anyway, it's uh, 1200 best offer. Um, it's a uh, it, it wouldn't move on me one day. And I get on Facebook and I said, my Kia is acting like when Bruce Jenner took acid, the tranny dropped out. <laughs> and immediately... You know, Alex talking that joke did not meet Facebook community standards, whatever the hell Facebook community standards are. I don't remember when we got together uh, and voted on the, the community standards of Facebook because uh, I've seen some some horse crap running through my community. <laughs> uh, but uh, whatever, you know what I mean? It's it's it you know it's the social justice warriors. It's the 400 pound kids that are still living at home with their moms. They're 35 years old. They got their green hair and their bag of Cheetos and an orange wang, and they're sitting there in their basements. Just blocking everybody, telling what you can and can't say online. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, At the very least, you made some humorous sides about it, maybe made some people think about it as well. But, uh, well, Alex, I want to thank you for joining the HitCast. Please grab Alex's new album, Screaming at Shapes. You can get it on iTunes right now. And also make sure you check him out at a comedy club near you. He's on tour. Thanks again, Alex. I really appreciate it, and I uh, hope we can chat again soon. Absolutely. My pleasure, man. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. From regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. 
Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.